Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Moikatan, daf Yudalad, page 14. Um, we are in a new parak. We are in a new daf. The parak really begins with an opening mishnah at the end of the previous daf. Here is that mishnah. And it's, this is also, as we've mentioned, a new topic, really a little bit further afield or, or verging into further afield than the general discussion that we've had so far about Cholamoy. Ve'el megalchin b'moed. All right, we're still talking about Cholamoy. Right, you could, these are the people who can shave and cut their hair on the intermediate days of the holiday. Haba mi medinat hayam, umi beit ha-shivya, ve'yotze mi beit ha-asurin, ve'amenudah she'itiru lo chachamim, ve'chein mi she'nishal lechacham v'hutar, ve'nazir ve'matzora, so we've got a long list here of these are the people who can shave. Um, I think, Yordana, you might point out that this is a male perspective. Uh, when we're talking about shaving and cutting hair, it's generally assumed, I think, you know, this is facial shaving. And the expectation here is that the male hair, haircut, the default is to be relatively short. Um, so we're talking about somebody who has come from overseas and someone who is released from from captivity, somebody who comes out of prison, why they're being released on Cholamoid is unclear, but perhaps, you know, in a non-Jewish setting, there's no reason that Cholamoid wouldn't be a reasonable time to be released. Um, one who has been put in cherem, um, excommunication, or ostracized, right, and during that process is, con- is prohibited from cutting his hair, somebody who is then released from that on Cholamoid. Likewise, somebody took a vow, an oath, to not cut his hair, and then got a permission from a wise sage to um, to be released from his vow. And that release took place over Cholamite. <coughs> Likewise, a Nazir, whose term of Nizirut ends during Cholamite, the Metzorah, somebody who has Tarat, who needs to purify himself during Cholamite, um, and, you know, and thereby regain the status of Tahara, of purity, all of these things all of these people, they're not things, all of these people who are not able to get their haircuts, their hairs cut. Oof, there's no way to say this nicely. There's, they couldn't get a haircut um, prior to the holidays beginning. So that's why they're allowed to cut their hair over Cholamite. It's not because their hair grows so fast. It's not because they don't have to worry about um, the same regulations. It's that the very same regulations were not in place for them because they were not yet in the status of being able to get their hair cut. And these are the people who could do laundry on Cholmoid. And again, laundry in our day may have a completely different status because we take it as a given that our clothes should be clean, right? These are the people who can do laundry. Um, the people who, again, one who comes from overseas, one who's released from captivity, one who comes out of prison, the person who's been ostracized, and somebody who goes and asks a wise sage to be able to do laundry. If he says you could do it, then you could do it. Um, that's a little bit, you know, I've said that a little bit more glibly. It really does mean somebody who's more released from a vow. And then the um, Gemara goes, I'm sorry, the Mishnah goes on, Hazavin v'azavot v'nidot v'yoldot v'cholol in mitum'a l'tahara 
הרי אילו מותרים, ושאר כל אדם אסורים. So it says like, he and towels, and the towels that the, that the hairdresser uses, or the barber, uh, or the towels used to dry your, your body, right? All of these things that get soiled, they get dirty pretty quickly, pretty easily. All of these things can be laundered on cholamoid. It goes on to say somebody who is suffering from some kind of venereal disease, zavim and zavot, um, menstruant women, women who have just given birth, anybody who's leaving the status of tameh, to become tahor, right? all of these people can launder their clothes as part of the process of purification. And everybody else, it says, meaning most people really, are prohibited from doing laundry during cholamoid. So, you know, <laughs> excuse me. <coughs> This is a whole discussion over what is the nature of the laundry that's being done on cholamoid. All of these cases where there's a where there's a permissibility, where there's an exemption to the clause that says you can't launder, um, there's a great concern that their, their garments are soiled, right? That there's something not clean about it, which to me suggests that the assumption is that regular people going about their regular day of a cholamoy day are not expected to have the same, I don't know, hygienic need because they presumably didn't get so dirty. Now, Nowadays, again, we all think that we get dirty every day. We do, whatever. It's just as a different standard of <coughs> what we expect in our threshold of, of cleanliness. Dana, do you have a comment on this before I go on to the next bit? No, no, no. Go, go ahead. Um, okay. So what I would like to do now is jump. I mean, there's plenty, plenty to discuss here. It is a long, complicated daf. Um, but at the very bottom of Ahmed Aleph, We have an, another case, you know, a little bit of an exemption here. Amar Shpul, katan hanolad b'mo'ed. A baby who is born on cholamoid, mutar legaleach b'mo'ed. So the Gemara says, it, you're allowed to shave this baby's head um, or to cut his hair, really, on cholamoid. She'en l'cha beit asurin gadol mizeh. You have no prison. It's a very lovely term. No prison more, greater, larger, more enclosed and trapped than the womb, right? Meaning the baby couldn't have gotten a haircut prior to birth, but you could give the baby a haircut on Cholmite. And of course, in preparation, your Dana and I were both a little bit boggle-eyed at this because, you know, it's very unusual that you would think to give a newborn a haircut. Um, even the few babies who are born with, you know, really thick, excessive heads of hair, I wouldn't think that you would cut the I wouldn't think to cut it, but fine. This is what the Gemara is discussing. And it becomes relevant, I think, why it's a, uh, an example of the larger discussion is exactly this case of when is there, when do you say, well, you couldn't do it beforehand, so you can take care of it on Cholamoid, even though you otherwise would not be allowed to do it on Cholamoid. <coughs> so the Gemara goes on. But Moed in. Mekara lo. Um, so the Gemara says specifically that if the baby is born on the holiday, then yes, the hair, the, the hair can be cut. But had the baby been born prior to the festival, then, you know, for whatever reason, they didn't cut his hair, but they should have, then you can't do it now because the opportunity was there. And for whatever reason, it wasn't taken. That doesn't mean you get to do it now later. So 
Ha'asur legalech b'moed, asur legalech b'mei evlo. And this is where Rav Pinchas has a comment that, again, is much more sweeping than our example of the baby. Specifically, the claim is that everybody, anybody who is allowed to shave and cut their hair on Cholamoid should also be allowed to shave and cut their hair during any time of Avelut. Right? Meaning, let's say somebody is released from prison, uh, you know, in the same um, news cycle, so to speak. If they right away discover that they're in Avelut, they still should be allowed to be shaving because they've not been allowed to shave for all that time in prison, let's say. Right? Um, and then the Gemara goes on to say, but if you are if you're prohibited from shaving and cutting hair during Cholamoid, which is most people, then also you're going to not be allowed to do so during during a period of mourning. So we've talked about this. We said that it was upcoming, and I think really here it is, this comparison between Avelut, the prohibitions or the practices, the customs against not doing certain behaviors that we might think are relevant as a matter of joy, you know, celebrating celebration. So, so therefore we're not going to interrupt because of them or mourning. We're so sad. We're not going to interrupt and take care of them. And, and here we see that this is really where it kind of kicks in that the person who had no opportunity prior to the events of Cholamoid, meaning getting released or whatever, are able to take care of it. You would think that same thing would be that they, if they were released during Avelut, um, it's an interesting parallel, and it's not exactly intuitive to me that just because you could be doing the one thing because you interrupt a daily life for the sake of the holiday, you and you're allowed to in this case, that you would also be allowed to for Avelut, for mourning, or vice versa. Um, just want to say the Gemara notes that the that the baby case might not really be the same, right, between Cholmoid and Avelut. Why? Because... Because even as the baby is not going to necessarily need a haircut, right? If you're going to do it over Cholamoid, are you really going to say that the morning is going to be practiced? The Avelut, Nohaget Bukatan, right? The idea that a, a baby is going to be mourning is really, you know, all that more, much more difficult. So the Gemara says we're talking about a, a, um, a minor. A minor is still really different from a baby. I find this baby case, you know, uh, it was debatable whether I should talk about it if I don't have a clear handle on everything there's to say about it, you know, in terms of making sense of it. I think that it's the extreme case that is here for that reason, but because it's the extreme case, it's much less comfortable as an example. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think that it's uh, an intuitive comparison. I still don't totally understand the situation um, about um uh, you know, the baby and the haircut. I know there's some cultures where people shave baby's hair, um, but I just found that whole discussion to be interesting because it's clearly a given there of something that's like a normal practice, but with not a lot of explanation. So today we're reading it and we're like, what is that actually talking about? I'm going to jump down to something on Amud Bet, which is a discussion about uh, a category of three different types of people, the Avel, a menuda and a mitzora. And the Gemara starts off as follows. So a mourner should not basically practice the halachot of avelut on a festival itself, right? Because we have this commandment, and we've seen this puzzle before, right? That we need to be happy, um, uh, you know, on a holiday. Um, and this is uh, from Devarim chapter 16, verse 14. 
And so the Gemara basically explains that if it is a mourning period that started sort of at, you know, that was there at the outset of the, of the regal of the, you know, um, the, the positive mitzvah is of the community, is the rabbin here. And therefore, what do we say? We're, you know, so, and so the positive commandment of celebrating the Chag of the rabbin basically overrides the individual's experience of being an Abel. And if the mourning period only begins now, meaning somebody died on the Regal itself, um, and this actually happened to me. My my grandmother, Zichronala Barachat, died on the second day of Sukkot. Lo ate ase de yachid, v'dachi ase de rabbin. Right? The positive mitzvah of the individual basically doesn't come and override the positive mitzvah of the community. So my father used to basically describe that because actually when that happens, you don't do anything until you do the burial, but then you don't do anything until Shiva. Nothing happens until after uh, the... Um, the week of, you know, the week of the holiday itself, my father described it as basically sitting Shiva for two weeks because they literally had to wait almost a full week uh, to start Shiva. But the point here of this Gemara is, is that basically the experience of the individual while they're mourning basically doesn't override the public commandment, the commandment of everybody to be v'samachta b'chagecha. And I just think this whole notion of that is very interesting that there's something about this public expression of joy that takes place on a holiday that we don't allow an individual to sort of override. And in fact, the public needs override the individual needs. Um, and, you know, what is it about this holiday period that we're, go we're willing to go that far that everybody has to participate in that simcha, right? I could make the argument, okay, so one person is mourning, you know, a few people are mourning, What's the big deal? But I wonder if it sort of has like a, you know, a trickle of effect because the person who's mourning, it affects his immediate family. And, you know, then it affects those people who are around the immediate family. So I, I'm trying to think, and Anne, I couldn't come up with one, of another scenario where you sort of have a private need versus a public need and the public need overrides it. I mean... I don't know. You put me on the spot. I'm not going to come up with it. There's yeah, probably another example. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably All another right. example, but I think that the the characterization of this case is still like a very strong one, whether or not there's another example of it. Right. I, right. I think we both can agree. It's a unique characterization and it's not like an over and notice also they don't bring another example to Gamara. Right. Like normally if there was another example, they would bring it in. There's no other, no other example brought in. So I think that that's also really interesting. Um, then they get to the case of the Minuda, right? So Minuda is basically an excommunicated person. Right? So does he observe, you know, being excommunicated over the period of the regal? Right. So Rav Yosef says, right, this is what we should hear, that during the festival, court judges, right, these cases of capital law, of, of cases of lashes and cases of, of, of monetary law. Right. It's known that one doesn't listen and do the judgment. Right. Because one of the, uh, uh, you know, um, because one of the uh, possibilities is that we would, you know, ostracize a person basically until he accepts the verdict. 
And so we don't, we don't do these types of things basically during a rego. This is something that we don't do, right? And so then the Gemara is going to go on to try to explain this a little bit more, right? That maybe, right? You might enter your mind that maybe, right? You might have thought that maybe one doesn't do these practices of, of excommunication during the festival, right? Uh, right? Because in other words, because if one's already been excommunicated before the festival, and then the festival comes and overrides, right? His, you know, basically his status. So now we would all say, right? Wouldn't we also say that now as a court, could we sort of implement, uh, you know, excommunication, right? For somebody who doesn't listen to, to judgment, right? That's one of the punishments if you didn't listen to the judgment. So rather it has to be that you would actually observe these practices even during the festival. So they sort of go through this again. Then Abai is going to come and say, that's not a good proof. Um, and uh, one of the things that comes out here that's interesting is, is that uh, I'm, I'm skipping uh, a little bit here, right? That actually one of the one of the things about judges is that judges, because of the job that they would have to do if they were giving judgment on Chag, on, on a regal, is they would be prevented from actually uh, from actually doing simchat chag, right? And how do we know this? Titania, so we have a brace here. Rabbi Akiva Mer Minayin Sanhedrin, right? So Rabbi Akiva says, how do we know that if the Sanhedrin basically puts somebody to death, they're not allowed to eat the whole day? Um, they don't taste anything. They don't taste anything for the whole day. So the Pasuk in Vayikra, chapter 19, verse 26 says, you shall not eat with blood. So in other words, on a day that there's bloodshed, right, that a, that a Sanhedrin condemns somebody to death, you shouldn't eat because there's blood that day. And so therefore, right, you couldn't have that happen on Chag because uh, basically we have to eat. One of the mitzvahs of Simcha is eating and you couldn't eat. So I thought this was a little bit connected to the Avel piece because now we're thinking about sort of like the experience of judges and whether or not that's like a happy experience. How could you truly have Simcha if you're going to actually have to give a difficult, um, a, a difficult judgment? Um, I'm skipping down a little bit. I'm not really going to read. Then the third case that they go through. So again, they sort of uh, try to work this through a little bit more. Um, and then they go through the case of the Mitzora, right? Mahu Shiyanhig Saratoba Regal, right? Does he have to observe his status of being a Mitzora uh, during being a Regal? Amar Bai Toshma. So Bai says, right? Right. So there is a brisa here that says that the Nazir and the Misora, they basically can transfer the state of Tahor to Tame on Chalamoid. So this implies that if you can become Tahor on Chalamoid, then it must be you were behaving like you were Tame on Chag right beforehand. And so therefore, this would prove that that the Mitsora actually does have to keep the laws of being a Mitsora. The Gemara is going to reject that proof. Rabba will then come and have another proof. But I think what's interesting is, is that all three of these cases, and, you know, I, I want to make two observations. All three of these cases are cases of an individual who has very strict rules on them that does not allow them 
to participate in a large communal celebration. And I think the fact that the Gemara even asks these questions emphasizes for us how important sort of this national celebrating was. The second thing I want to just, you know, mention is, is that it is interesting that sort of the, uh, the reasoning for the Aval sort of seems to be the most straightforward. Um, and I, I almost would say, you know, is the emphasis on the communal experience as opposed to the individual experience. Whereas when they try to find the reasoning for the Minuta and the Mitzora, it's still about the individual experience. So I, I thought that was interesting as well. I don't know that I have anything like, you know, a greater insight into all of this, but these three categories, again, I think are categories of people who, you know, it's, it, it, it's sort of expressing the tension of, we want everybody, and we mean everybody to participate in a certain way, but what do you do about those people who have imposed on them laws that really part of the law is, or part of how that is observed is, they are taken out of public life. I think it's really an interesting distinction because I might have thought, I think I did think that the morning is still an individual's experience, let's say. And I think casting it as something that has impact on the community at large, I think it makes sense in this context. And I don't think that it's necessarily, let's say, intuitive, whatever. Um, so that it, it sets it apart as opposed to saying all of these things are individual. And then I feel like, I, I don't know, like the, the phenomenon of this Avelut lining up, like really lining up with Cholamoid, I still have a, I don't want to say I have a hard time with it. I, meaning I understand that, that the parallel is drawn, but it's not yet intuitive to me why that is. And I feel like maybe we'll see it as the parak of, you know, as the parak goes on, but it's a kind of thing where I feel like this stuff, this parak opens with this, with this comparison. It, it entrenches it. Right, we're now talking about Avelut, except for that we're still talking about Cholamoid, and um, I don't think that we. I, I don't know that I'm going to have a better grasp than your comment here about the communal impact. So well, thank I'll, you I'll for that. And let's this. as we, as we go through the rest of this parag, I think it makes therefore the insertion or the alignment, let's say, of well, I was saying the insertion of these halachot about mourning in Moed Katan and the alignment of Hilchot Avelut to Cholamoed even more interesting because you're taking, you're basically comparing probably one of the most individual experiences a person can have, right? The loss of somebody, right? That no one else has to experience or do the same way. Yes, you may have some family members who are doing it with you, but in other words, the very private personal experience and then it gets aligned with or contrasted with the most communal way of celebrating, right? The com most communal time of us as people. So there, I think there's something for us to look out for the, in the rest of this parak. I think so. I think so. I'm still mulling, not just this point, but the, the fact that these end up being comparable for things like what are you allowed to do and what are you not allowed to do? Right. I, I'm, we're still in the mulling phase. I agree. It's only the first half of this pair. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rank is reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Robin and Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hodge website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.